This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCute, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us, and I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. Organ donation is a big deal. And before I met our guest a couple of years ago, I didn't know how big it was. And in my circle and in my frame of reference, I really had no idea why organ donation mattered so damn much. But sitting here today, I do. And, um, you know, we, we have a history. Her name is Fawn Rogers. Uh, she's got an incredible initiative called Tell uh, that we're going to get into. She has had a double lung transplant, which we're also going to unpack as to why. But before we get into that, I met Fawn because the universe brought us together. It was a time when when a beautiful young soul in Cape Town had started the most um, incredible initiative as well. It was called Get Me to 21. And uh, Jenna Lowe had started this initiative to get her to 21, literally. Um, she was, I think, 19 at the time, and um, she needed a lung transplant. And I got to chat to Jenna Lowe and... Um, and sort of just hear her story about why she was doing this and, and where she wanted to go and, and what the plan was. And it was the most beautiful thing because Jenna had started this concept, but the reality is that she wasn't doing it for herself. She was doing it for South Africa. And she was doing it because our, our donation uh, statistics are so low. We don't have many people that are um, on the organ donation list. And even if they are, if they haven't told the people around them, it means that it can be vetoed. And and I got to interview Jenna and I said to her, um, you're planning this 21st and it's getting global coverage. Uh, your your initiative has really gone viral. Who do you want to be at your 21st? Because come on, it's it's on this international platform now. We can invite Charlize Theron or Trevor Noah and all of those great things. And she answered me and she said, you know what? My mom wants them there because she's, she's a fan of them. But I I just want the people that have help me and who I look up to to be there and one of those people is Fawn Rogers and she went on to tell me Fawn's story and and um, it was a beautiful story and a couple of a couple of months later unfortunately Jenna Lowe passed away it was tragic um, we were all quite heartbroken by it um, and a couple of weeks went by and and I met a friend of mine at a club here in Joburg called Billy the Bums we all know Billy the Bums it's the the last place you <laughs> you sort of land up at before you head home after a night out. That's where all the cockroaches hang out. Um, <laughs> it's an institution in, in Johannesburg. And, and we went for a couple of drinks and I, I met my friend Travis Kruger there and he introduced me to what is now his fiance. And the night that I met Fawn, I cried, which, um, you know, very becoming of me. It's quite charming. But I've got Fawn Rogers in studio with me to chat about her experience and, and, and why the initiative Tell matters so much. Fawn, it's an incredible to have you in the studio. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's um, it's always nice having friends in the studio because I, I like uh, the Good Things Guy jackpot to be a chat. But when you've got friends, it's a real chat. I mean, we don't really have listeners. So it's just you and me. Having no, just a, another Friday. Just another Friday having a cup of tea. Actually, Tuesday because this goes out on Tuesday. Oh, right. <laughs> but I'm um, so close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Fawn, I mean, a long intro and, and you, Jenna looked up to you and 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 that's how I sort of got to know you without knowing you, first of all. But what is your story? Where, do you have a double lung transplant? How did that happen? So my story is, um, I suppose, not so different and also 
different to others. Um, I was born with a genetic disease called cystic fibrosis, and that affects pretty much every organ, but mainly your lungs. So I grew up really ill. Um, my parents were told that basically if I saw my teen years, that would be amazing. Um, and at the time, organ donation was this foreign concept, like we hear now about 3D printing, and it was this futuristic thing that would be great if it could sort of happen. But we weren't counting on that. Um, so you, you knew from day dot that, that you had this. Did you believe that you wouldn't make it to your teens? So I was one years old when I got diagnosed. And obviously as a kid, I think my parents tried to hide. They knew, well, they assumed that my life could potentially be quite short, but they never let me know that. Um, and as I grew up and you have access to information, um, also I was the only person at the time in Zimbabwe with cystic fibrosis. I think I still am, even though I'm not there. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so very limited information um, that we could get. But when I did visit, um, I would come down to South Africa for treatment. And when I did come down, I'd kind of get snippets of information, which included sort of life expectancy and all of that. So I probably was like preteen when I realized that, you know, this my life would be a little bit different. And while my girlfriends were drawing wedding dresses, I was sort of scribbling healthy lungs because that was sort of my dream. Weddings and babies and all those things that you do in your adulthood wasn't something I was kind of expecting to do. I kind of prepared myself for the worst, but still hoping for the best. And then I think I must have been about 14, 15. I moved up into the adult ward and my doctor said to me that I would need a lung transplant. And I was kind of like a bit horrified because it was this, like I said, this futuristic like, what? They can do that? <laughs> yeah, no, the questions must have been uncertainty. Where, where, what is yeah. it? Like, how? What, what happens after that? Okay, you give me new lungs, and then what? Yeah, and, and not even that. I mean, it's, I mean, I was a big horror movie fan, so I'm just imagining, like, <laughs> saw scenes, and they're cutting you in half and pulling out organs, and I just, my mind went there, and I was like, oh, like, no thanks. That doesn't sound like something I can do. Um, I actually have quite a big needle phobia. Um, which sounds ridiculous, but I, it's just a mental thing. And I'm absolutely petrified of needles. So every blood test I go for, every, well, I only have my ears pierced, and that's as far as I went, but needles scare me. So with that in mind, a transplant is a pretty big yeah, <laughs> deal. It's a big undertaking. And I think for many years, I was sort of against it. I didn't want to have a lung transplant. It was just too scary, and I was just kind of happy even though I was very sick I was sort of comfortable and that's what I knew and I was happy to do that but as my house deteriorated I um, started to realize that the possibility of lung transplant was something that could not only save my life but improve it dramatically I mean by the time I was listed I was completely bedridden I had you tubes. oxygen yeah I had oxygen tube I had uh, I'm diabetic so I had an insulin pump with a tube I had my portacath, which is a permanent, basically, IV that's inserted in your chest. And I had a feeding tube. So I literally, at any given time, had four tubes coming off of me, lying in bed, dying. And that was sort of my life. How, how old were you when, at that point when you got put on the donor list? How old were you? I was 23. 23. Yeah. And, and were you based still in Zimbabwe then, or were you in Johannesburg by that time? No, so I had moved up to Johannesburg. Um, I thought I could probably get away with a few years of kind of getting, you know, used to the country and all of that. But after about a year, my health took a turn for the worse. And my mom had to move up to look after me. So she moved in and she became my flatmate. And um, 
yeah, I was put on the list um, as urgent because I really didn't have much time. Um, and I waited. How long did you wait for? So the list doesn't really work um, sort of, you know, you number seven on the list. It's all got to do with matches and urgency. So what they do is when an organ becomes available, they see who is um, a good match. And then when whoever's the good match, they look at who needs it the most. So I was listed as a priority that if there was a match, I would get those lungs because I was so desperate. So with that in mind, I waited eight months. So oh eight months when you're desperate is a long time. Yeah, but they came and I don't think they could have come a day sooner. Yeah, it's so I know your story because we are friends. Yeah. But hearing it um, makes it all real again. Yeah. Um, like I'm hearing it for the first time. It's harrowing that what you had to go through to get to that point. And you know we're going to get into into your organisation now. But the reality of I don't know if it's global or or just in South Africa, but global. the st- global mm. statistics are so little for yeah. people that are organ donors. Why do you think that is? Um, people not wanting to be organ donors, you mean? Or, or not, not, not not wanting to, but, but just, not, just not being on the list or like yeah. not applying. Or Why do you think that, that you had to wait eight months? Mm. So I think it's, um, you know, it's one of those things, like you said, before you are affected by it or know someone, it, it, it seems like this foreign problem that's not really yours and you don't need to think about it. And as soon as you meet someone or know someone that's gone through it, then you realize like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, why didn't I think of this earlier? It's something that you can do and give a huge part of you without actually having to do anything really. So I I think it's just lack of education and awareness. And I think once people hear about it, they realize that it is a good thing to do. And people, um, very few people I've come across have said that they do not want to be an organ donor. They kind of have never thought about it or they haven't taken a step to kind of tell people that they are an organ donor. But yeah, it's awareness. So every year now we celebrate your lung anniversary. You did your sixth sixth lung anniversary this year. Yes. And um and it's a celebration that you put together with your friends to celebrate the fact that someone has given you an organ and we celebrate their life. But mm-hmm. as your friends, we celebrate your life. We're thankful um to the person that did that, but we celebrate you as well. And I yeah. think that's made us more aware of it. And that's why we've all been like, yes, we will be organ donors tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't mind. I, I'll give up an organ right now. I'm good to go. Um, and it's about awareness and changing people's perceptions around it is exactly what you're saying. The operation itself, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that you were scared leading up to it when you were younger because you didn't yes. really understand and you had this idea in your head like it was an absolute horror movie. Mm. Was it? Um, yes and no. So I think the things that I thought were going to be bad weren't and the things I wasn't expecting were worse than I kind of had expected. So for example, they, it's called a clam shell incision and they open you up like a clam. <laughs> I don't know if that's too much detail. Not at all. Tuesday, and, and, <laughs> you know what we, um, the, the point of the show is to educate our listeners yep. and to make them aware. And, and I think that's important. So please continue. Okay. So they open you up like a clam <laughs> and they remove uh, one lung at a time and then they put uh, the new lungs in one at a time and then they stitch you up and put in a whole bunch of horrifyingly big drains and they send you off into ICU. And I thought I would wake up and just feel like this overwhelming pain because I've been opened in half and 
And you don't because you're on more morphine than they have (laughs) (laughs) in any given time. And you're pretty sedated. So from a pain level, it was not nearly as bad as I'd kind of worked it up to be. And everyone's journey is different. And mine, unfortunately, I experienced a lot of like ICU psychosis, which meant essentially that I went crazy in ICU, which we laugh about now. But at the time, it was um, terrifying. Your brain, I mean, I'm I'm a very logical person. And I told myself that I was imagining things, but my brain convinced me that I wasn't imagining things and there was indeed a murderer standing in front of me trying to kill me. (laughs) So things like that that I hadn't expected were quite bad, but um, I also told myself that this is, it's sort of the cocoon stage and you kind of coming under the cocoon and you just have to be patient and a few more days, weeks, months of you know, hospitalization and treatments and you'll be okay. And that's exactly what happened. So the three months I spent recovering in hospital weren't great. But uh, for the six years now that I've had, I mean, that's a really small price to pay. So The night that I met you at Billy's um, <laughs> and you introduced yourself, I would not have known in any way that you had a double lung transplant. And like, there's, no, there's nothing that tells me that you went through this, this experience. Uh, you're just a beautiful girl dancing on a dance floor. Like now you're living the best life. Yeah, and I think a lot of people say that. They say, like, you don't, but you don't look sick. And I said, well, that's the point of a transplant is to give you a normal life. And I'd never had that before. I mean, I looked sick. We didn't know each other pre-transplant, but I mean, I'm, and I'm still pretty pale, but pre-transplant, I was white as a sheet. My lips were blue and I, you could see I was ill. And people, you know, walking around the mall, they could tell. Whereas now, yeah, unless I mention... <laughs> well, if you, if you mention to people the amount of tablets you take every day. Yes, when people see me take my drugs, there is a, a flag. And just, just, just for our listeners, how many do you take a day? Um, a lot, uh, probably around 40 a day. Uh, morning and evening split in total yeah in total yeah and that's um just to keep everything intact because yeah. once you've had and I, I am not an expert on um organ donation but in the time that we've been friends i've learned quite a bit uh, just being around you and being around allison um fawns introduced me to an amazing group of people who who really have made me realize and i've said this now this is like the 14th time but that organ donation is important so I know that the tablets are there to um, help with your immune system and, and to help with rejection and there's all sorts of things. And that's, that's chronic that you're going to have to take for the rest of your life, right? Yes. Yeah, so I think, and that's where my journey does differ from, some, from other people where I was born with an illness and from when I was diagnosed, I took pills every single day. I had treatments every day. So for me, treatments and pills are, I don't know any difference. So for me to take a handful of pills now is completely normal. It's not any extra admin. It's just life. But... Other people that have been healthy and then they experience something that puts them in a position where they need a transplant, they do struggle after the transplant to try and accept the fact that even though they're healthy, they have to live on tablets for the rest of their lives. So I never realized it was a big deal till I met those people. And I thought, oh, well, yeah, and I, I suppose we do take quite a few, <laughs> a few pulls. <laughs> but for me, that's always, um, yeah, that's my norm. That's your norm. Mm. It's been part of your journey. Your journey has brought you to a point where... I mean, you've, you've met these people that have become friends and I'm talking about the other transplant uh, patients who are now become your friends. Yes. And you guys together decided to create what is called TEL. What is yeah. TEL? So TEL is Transplant Education for Living Legacies. And what happened is uh, probably about a year, two years after my transplant, um, when I started to get my life together, I wanted to give back. 
And um, I started looking at ways I could do that. And my first thought was, well, let me try and get more people to sign up as organ donors. That was my sort of go-to. And I think that's a lot of people's references. You need to be a registered organ donor and that's going to make a difference. So I looked into that. Um, and I also spoke to some of my transplant friends and we realized because we were transplant patients, we had a lot of connections with different doctors and people involved in the process. And we spoke to them about it and we said, we want to make a difference. We want to get more people to register as organ donors. And they said to us, but that's not going to make a big difference. And we were kind of a bit shocked. And they said that the transplant process has quite a few steps. So first of all, you need to be um, a potential donor needs to be identified and then that donor gets referred by the nursing staff or medical staff to the transplant coordinator. The transplant coordinator then match that donor with the potential recipient and then it gets tested and your surgery happens and so on. So there's a lot of different steps and they said that the organ donor, being registered as an organ donor is essentially step one but in South Africa unfortunately medical staff don't have direct access to the transplant list. So overseas, what happens is you register as an organ donor and at the time that a donor becomes um, identified, they check the list and they say, right, yes, he's a donor. No, he's not. If he is a donor, then they approach the family and they say, you know, we're very sorry for your loss. And did, did you know that your son was an organ donor? Would you like to honor those wishes? In South Africa, we don't have that step. So we skip that step and the coordinators go straight to the family and say, we're sorry for your loss would you consider organ donation? And the family now in this horrific state have to make this decision, which is pretty big. And if you've had the conversation with them, then it makes them a lot easier, a lot easier for them to decide because, you know, they'll say, yes, my son spoke about this and he was passionate about it. And yes, he would like to save lives. Or we're not sure what he wants and we're confused and like, no, um, in which case, obviously the wishes are respected. So we realized that we needed to not tell people to register and if you have registered that's great and it's an amazing first step but you need to tell your family because in South Africa that registration unfortunately goes unnoticed. So that was the first thing that we wanted to do is get people to tell their families, have the conversation. The second step that we, we realized where we could help was that the nurses aren't, it's not part of their training to refer potential patients. So they have a patient that they lose and they call the morgue and that's the end. The end. So that's where TAL comes in and we do, we go to the different hospitals and we do nurse educational talks. We usually take a transplant recipient because people believe and understand with their eyes. So we take a recipient, they tell their story and then we, we speak to the nurses and we say, listen, this is what you need to look out for. And if you do find a potential donor, all you've got to do is call the coordinator. It's not your responsibility to convince or talk to the family. The coordinators will get you and do their thing. But if you think that there's a possibility that this could be a donor, please refer them. So that's where TAL came about is we've got our public awareness, which is tell your tribe and have the conversation and our hospital medical bit, which is tell your team. And that's kind of where we concentrate to try and make a difference and increase the number of not organ donors, but transplants that happen. Transplants that happen. Yeah. If if someone has to, if they tell their tribe and they're on the list and all of those things go through, how many lives can be saved and affected through that decision? So you can save up to eight lives. Previously, we said seven lives, but now that they, they can actually split the liver. So it's sort of an eight life that can be saved. So you can save eight lives, but you can improve the lives of up to 50 to 100 people with tissue and bone and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, as a healthy donor, you have the potential to save hundreds of lives. And the reality is um, 
and again, my perspective has changed since I got to know you. But I think of my body as like this beautiful vessel and this gift yeah. that I've been given. And it's, it's given me so much in my life. I've done so many great things already. I'm only 34 and yeah. my body has done so much for me. If I pass away and I'm able to give just an ounce of that to someone else, then I've more than fulfilled my duty in this world. Um, you don't need it. Yeah. It's, it's, once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. One of the things that hasn't launched yet... Yes. But but uh, I jumped right in when you when you mentioned it to me. You're like, listen, Brent, we're doing something in about a month's yes, time. Yes, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the conversation kind of yeah, went. Yeah. But um, you you guys have come up with this concept to take telling your friends, family, peers, colleagues, everybody around you to the next level. Yeah. Uh, and what is that? I, I don't want to break the news. Yeah. You, you can do it on my show right now. I know it's only launching in a month. I'm putting you on the spot. But go. <laughs> So um, I have to say that it was, we have an amazing, amazing branding agency called Murma um, and we work together on different campaigns and they've come up with our whole sort of concept of Tal and they're amazing. So thanks Murma. Um, and they came up with this idea that another way to tell your family as opposed to having sort of a verbal conversation is through some sort of act and that act being getting yourself a tattoo. <laughs> so I asked I'm in. you, yeah. <laughs> I asked you if you would like to be a part of it um, and leading up to our launch, which is next month, we wanted to kind of get a little bit of excitement around it and start spreading the word. And you went and got your tattoo, which looks amazing. I did. So the, <laughs> the whole idea behind it, it's a symbol, which is the double L intel and the quote sort of like quotes unquotes it stands for both and it looks like both and i went and got it and uh there's going to be hordes of people that are doing it and it's this whole idea uh, i don't know if our listeners will remember but a couple of years ago the semicolon yeah. was a vibe that went viral around the world and people were getting the semicolon tattoo to honor and sort of talk about mental illness mental awareness and it became a global thing and the when when I was approached and when you sort of pitched the idea to me, what I loved about it is I am an organ donor and I've told everybody that I'm an organ donor, but to get a symbol to remind everybody around me that I'm an organ donor yeah. makes it that much more like it resonates more yeah. with people. Yeah. The organ donor tattoos, if you go online and you go like onto um, Google and you Google organ donor, they're quite girly. So like like a heart. like a heart yeah. and there's like a lifeline and mm. it's pretty but I don't think it would suit me. Yeah. Whereas this symbol, which I wear with so much pride, it really does make me feel like I have made a commitment. And my family and friends know I've made a commitment. And the craziest thing is when I was getting the tattoo, the people that were in the store with me asked me what it was about. Not store. They don't do tattoos in stores. The parlor. Studio? Studio. Yeah. I think in the in the eighties they called it a parlor. A salon, we'll call it a studio. Yeah, yeah. In the studio were so interested by what I was doing that they did it too. Oh wow, I didn't know that. So there were people that just joined Amazing. in and they were like, I also want one. And then I went mm. and put it online and there's all these people that want to get the same sort of thing because they believe in the symbol. And I think the simple concept that you've come up with is just beautiful it's a reminder to all of us that we can do more with what we have just by doing something so simple and it doesn't have to be a tattoo like you don't have no, to go out there and get a tattoo but if you had to get the tell symbol on a bangle or yes. um what are those those bracelets from italy the nomination bracelets yes, yeah. like if you had to have the tell symbol on there mm -hmm. it could just be telling your tribe that this is where we want to go and this is what we want to do 
Yeah, so um, going back to your semicolon, um, the, the tattoo that went viral, that was to symbolize where a sentence could have ended and it carried on. See, um, I don't know these things. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. So it was sort of people that were considering suicide or had attempted suicide and they didn't or didn't weren't successful. So the semicolon was that life continued. Lovely. Um, and with our symbol, the quotation mark, it's the start of a conversation. So when you open up a conversation, you always start with the, um, the quotation marks. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I have to ask you at the beginning of the interview, uh, you said that when you were younger, you were drawing the lungs while all of your friends were drawing wedding dresses yeah. and all these sorts of things. At your age now and um, with six years of having new lungs and, and having this second lease at life, what are you drawing now? That's a really good question and it's something I've struggled with because I always felt like, I mean, what do you do when you've achieved your biggest dream in life and you've got to come up with new dreams? And I think that's where I felt a bit um, unsettled. Like, I've, I've got my dream, what am I drawing now? And that's where Tal started and that's sort of given me a new goal to look forward to and as you mentioned earlier I'm engaged so I suppose <laughs> I should start drawing wedding dresses at some stage <laughs> well Pony I absolutely love you and it's been amazing having you on the show and I'm excited um, for Tal to grow into great things I'm excited um, to hopefully be invited to your wedding <laughs> and I'm excited to just um, be on this journey with you and I thank you for everything uh, that you've taught me and that you continue to teach those around you you may not know it um, and people might not say it enough. So I'll say it now. You are an absolute inspiration. Yeah. Um, your story and who you are and what you stand for makes me remember to enjoy every day that we are given. Um, there's many times that you post simple things on your social media that reminds me that life is very short and we're not mm. promised tomorrow and we need to be thankful for our health and all of those good things. And I just want to thank you for being an inspiration, not just to me, but to so many people. Well, thank you. And thank you for your... This is not a, <laughs> um, a love Thank face. you to you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, um, I was speaking to someone the other day and I said that we were starting this tattoo campaign and they said, oh, that sounds great, but who's going to get a tattoo for you? And I said, well, <laughs> Brent did. <laughs> And they were like, well, Brent and then, then we're in. So thank you so much for your support and your unwavering support to jump in and just be there. Anything for organ donation, anything for you. Uh, I, before we leave, because I did forget, where if people want to go and get information? Because that's what this is all about. Where do yeah. they go? So we are only launching um, next month. <laughs> so it's a little bit early. But you can watch our social media pages, TAL. Uh, it's TAL Org ZA. Um, and yeah, just keep an eye out on there. And as soon as there's more information, we'll post it. We will be doing an open day where people can go and get their tattoos for free for free but more details on that later <laughs> fantastic um, I am going to put the uh, the link to the Facebook in the podcast uh, bio in the info section that's what we love about podcasts that we can put all that information in there um, and thank you for joining us thank you for listening uh, only good things I'm Brent Lindekew, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy, and you've been listening to Good Things Guy, a jackpot podcast. For more episodes or to subscribe, rate, or review my podcast, go to iTunes, Iona FM, or Google Podcasts. Be kinder than necessary to yourself and each other. Thanks, and only good things.